Okay. So this one is a podcast about the Royal Geographical Society conference that I'll be attending over this week. Um, I'm here to present initial findings from the PhD and also take some time to write uh, when I'm supposed to be listening to others. But uh, what I like to know is how my mind works. It's, it needs inspiration, but also the way that inspiration hits is when I get the input from others. So um, it's not to say I'm entirely a selfish listener. I'm really looking forward to the theme, which is climate changed geographies. And um, uh, I've been working on a postdoctoral proposal in secrecy, I guess, <laughs> that uh, I'd like to just briefly outline because it's uh, it's climate change related, um, but it's still early days, so I'll be listening in, understanding literature a bit more from colleagues, so I don't jump in and then, much like my PhD, have to spend you know years reconciling what I thought I knew with the literature says. So uh, the proposal is around how climate scientists who go on expeditions deal with the different places that the field and the lab are. Um, so I'll be bringing a lot of the place perspective and decision-making perspectives that I've developed through my my PhD to that study, and also I'm interested in the in the kind of the dichotomy and the transition between the two. How do you transition from observations to crystallized findings, and specifically again, kind of the the rules of thumb of how do you actually do that as a, as a climate scientist? Um, whether I include uh, other parts like the communication findings later, you know, it depends on how the scientists themselves look at it. But the, but thinking about the population here that I'm interested in is those people that now for the first time there will be a massive uplift in people going into this profession seriously and will be studying the It's not like it didn't exist, but you know, uh, the expectation is that it will, it will be increasing. I want to study how they make decisions, how they negotiate the lab and the field and the interventions that I will look at in the methodological approach would start with I think I want to build a grounded theory uh, of that obviously there will be some phenomenological perspective what's the experience like for them uh, and then I'll use certain techniques within the, the instruments for studying that are borrowed from both behavioral uh, science and positive psychology like experience sampling we have the technology now to to check how the the lab versus the field is is feeling like what is it like at the moment so I'll be devising something like that and then the outcome that I'm anticipating for this is kind of a a set of of uh, norms that would be discussed for what, what the field is like and what the 
the lab is like, and then kind of contrasting the two and seeing how to improve the. Not what I'm trying to put it here is, I think what I've got in my head is, I mean, ultimately, yes, there will be a theoretical contribution. I also want to study what's the kind of tools, mental tools they use, and what's the, the digital tools I can build to help them uh, as well. Game the in the toolkit. So that's the kind of preliminary thoughts. I've uh, put together a little proposal pitch. Um, and I'll be doing my literature review over this coming year as I'm finishing the PhD as well. And then next year, I think I'll start with the exploratory phase of the, of the postdoc, uh, finding out uh, how it needs to be tweaked in order to find the right collaborator team. But I'm hoping that part of that could happen even at this conference. When it comes to the, the PhD itself, I've uh, been doing some writing as I arrived yesterday, um, and it was it was not being held carnival. I didn't expect the buzz to be around, but managed to get some sleep and did some writing uh, of the discussion chapter of the PhD. And today I need to prepare for presenting. Uh, poster. It just sucks that we're stuck in Victorian times, so I've not prepared just a, a printable poster, but I've got a digital digital version, and uh, I think uh, I've, got, I've got QR codes on my poster, but basically what I want to show conference attendees within five minutes is, first of all, not to play the game of being told, you know, just present your findings in five minutes. Fuck that. I don't play that game. I've been a researcher for long enough to know that that's just people tripping you up to see if under stress you have really baked into yourself what your thesis is about. Like, that's nonsense. That is nonsense. I, of course, I need to understand what I'm talking about, but I've got reams and reams of data that I can share with you, and I don't need to have that top of mind. We're humans that use tools, and the tools that I need to be at my best, uh, I've devised for myself. So, um, the, the I've created additional resources to receive feedback on the poster, uh, so people would be able to scan, go in digitally, and zoom in and out of all of the details. There's actually two layers. At the deepest layer, they'll be able to explore even the, the anonymized data and see if my kind of ordering of it and my thematizing is in any way different from what they would have put together. So I'll be able to show that, but obviously I'm not gonna uh, like not uh, take my five minutes to show my passion for this project, right? So that's what I'm going to try to do. I'll show them my passion, and anybody that's a stickler because of their personal disposition, I would love to talk with them after, or I would love to share more details with them. And for anyone that's a skeptic, I would love to have a conversation on this podcast or to exchange letters, but I just find that I always get tripped up by more senior academics who play that game. They, they themselves write academic articles that are short, succinct, and then move on. We're expected for PhDs to write uh, kind of a world-building theory, like it is the 
17th and 18th century, which is absolutely amazing that we get the opportunity. But then when we get asked to present that in five minutes, it's just unfair, it's not the right format. So I've got enough confidence in me to not play that game. <laughs> but what I'll be able to, to show in five minutes is a conceptual model, right? And at this stage, I'm actually showing a conceptual model that is uh, overfitting. I think I'll be able to summarize that even further. Uh, but I've got in my mind a way of, of doing that that I, I just need some more feedback. So I'll be showing how, given my topic, you know, um, how do we, you know, can we choose where to live rationally? And specifically focusing on the highly educated, because they're oftentimes the target of policymakers, you know, attract more skilled people with higher education. Obviously, I'm just sticking to the highly educated and I haven't had any measurement of, of skills in my, in my sampling. Uh, but I've got a sample of of graduates, uh, junior, senior, and professors, you know, levels of, of academic attainment that I interviewed. So the focus there is how they, how they actually made decisions when they were relocating, choosing where to live, uh, what are the contents of their decisions, what kind of things do they care, and abstracting from that a process. So abstracting from, you know, I moved from my birthplace when I was a kid to another place and all the places, so we go back to all of their history. And then did they make it, the decision rationally? And then the conversation goes on to what they learned as rules of thumb over time, right? That's the contribution. So in my model, I'll be showing uh, place, place zero, place one, how you increasingly de develop agency over time in understanding both uh, the extrinsic uh, needs that you have and then the intrinsic ones and then how these um, are classified by participants themselves as uh, more rational or more intuitive with the more rational tending to be the more extrinsic and kind of more basic needs so people talked about um, so the key priorities for making a decision to move to a place is you know having a job the cost of living and is it the right size of place for me? Right size of place tend, tending to be this kind of continuity with the, the pace of life that one's used to from the previous place. So this, this kind of model of how people over time shape, get shaped by the places they live to, live to is not something that is common in the decision-making literature or in the uh, geography literature or the place marketing literature. Yeah. And, trying to contribute to. So from these more rational, extrinsic, basic factors to the more intrinsic, growth-oriented, um, very intuitive ones that are difficult to put into words, but you know, participants could share them into rules of thumb. These kinds of considerations were discussed as you know, the needs to be close to family and friends, and feeling a sense of community. And at, at the deepest level, by moving through different places and seeing what is the unmovable and unchangeable thing that doesn't change with the change of the environment, then 
there's a potential for developing an okay relationship with yourself as one participant. So this kind of overarching integrative model is what, what I would call place actualization uh, that I've mentioned on the podcast before. And I'm trying to make sure when I communicate it, it's clear. Maybe that's not the label. Maybe that's not you know, the right exact words. But I think I'm, I'm getting there. I think this is, you know, the level of... Uh, contribution that's expected at the PhD level um, and it would ultimately contribute to multiple fields and practice I hope because it can relay back um, anybody that's doing anything to places whether at any scale you know, whether it's going to be a city or a country you know, to relate it back to the, to the needs of the people that live in them and not in a populist way but in a very much potentially operationalizable way. So these, the sub-factors doing place actualizations would be turned into, into scales. Uh, so as one of, you know, there's multiple quality of place and place quality scales out there, uh, but integrating them into something that can be experienced at the individual level, I think can conversations like the ones about you know uh, gross national happiness the Bhutan tribe to thinking about net national or whether it's gonna be city happiness you know what's the gross I mean I, I don't want the I don't want the net I don't want the general I live as an individual so you can have to take some of the costs off you know some of the negatives and this is where, in my model, it's not only the positive, but there is a, this core theme, like kind of the dark, the dark triad, the dark side of uh, place actualization, where there are so many people who are basically stagnated because they're stuck in places where they don't feel like they belong, they don't feel like they fit in, they feel like outsiders. And the, the way the participants talked about that was devastating, because I, I wasn't expecting to find out when I would ask them about where they love, you know, where, what was their experience. I wasn't expecting to hear about religious intolerance and that. So, that exists as well. So this is where I'm up to. Obviously, I'll summarize it. I might record one more. Okay. I'm around here. We'll see how it gets on.